Hello and welcome to episode 204 of SMARTS, which as you know stands for Spider-Man Absurdity Ripples Through Subculture. Ooh. Ooh, I think that was a good one. Yes, we will explain what that means. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster, and with me as always is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q Podcaster. <sighs> Hello. <laughs> Save it for your ASMR podcast. Um, so, <laughs> I can't believe you know what that is. <laughs> I only found out yesterday. Yes. That's hilarious. <laughs> so we should uh, we should explain what you mean by that acronym. So it's been the talk of the internets um, that the deal between Sony and Disney that allowed Spider-Man to appear in Marvel Cinematic Universe movies has apparently failed to have been renewed. So obviously, for a bit of backstory, Sony has had the movie rights to Spider-Man for, what, probably close to 20 years now. Yep. Since Marvel sold them, sold the movie rights to their uh, most popular characters during the 90s to save themselves from imminent bankruptcy. So they sold the Spider-Man rights to Sony and the Fantastic Four and X-Men rights to Fox and a few other various things. Like, I think the Namor rights went to New Line or something like that. Um, But those are the main ones that everybody knows. Um, and of course, since then, Disney has bought 20th Century Fox, and so the Fantastic Four and X-Men rights are back, but Sony still had the Spider-Man rights, and they came to a deal a few years ago where um, Marvel would basically produce and more or less make Spider-Man movies for Sony, but Sony would get 95% of the profits, um, would get to retain the rights, but Marvel would get to make the movies, have them take place in the MCU, have Spider-Man appear in other MCU movies, and have their... MCU characters appear in Spider-Man movies. Mm -hmm. Basically, this was a deal that Sony was forced into taking because their two previous versions of the Spider-Man franchise, the Tobey Maguire version and the Andrew Garfield version, both sort of went down in flames increasingly rapidly. Um, And so they they just needed a shot in the arm to get people to care about their Spider-Man movies again and Mm -hmm. to get some money out of the character. Um, So as a result, we got... um, three Spider-Man appearances in non-Spider-Man movies and two Spider-Man movies produced by Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios. Um, And the expectation, especially with some of the plot threads that were set up in Spider-Man Far From Home, was that the deal would be renewed Mm -hmm. and we would continue to get more Spider-Man movies produced by Disney and more appearances of Spider-Man in future Avengers movies or whatever. But now apparently talks have um, broken down, although there's all sorts of stories that talks are, are Ongoing. This is all. This all stems from a report in one of the trade publications. I forget whether it was Deadline or Variety or whatever. Um, so of course, there's all sorts of, you know, criminal criminology going on about you know, did one of the sides leak this information to to strengthen their hand at the bargaining table? Was this a PR play by one side or the other to get fan support on their side? Um, it certainly seems that the fans are, I guess, not surprisingly behind Disney in this because mm-hmm. Disney's the one that wants to keep things going the way they are. And fans seem to really like Tom Holland and the role and like the yeah. way that he appears in other movies and other characters can appear in his movies. They want that to continue. So not surprisingly, fan support seems to be on Disney's side. Although a lot of the reports say that the talks broke down the result of Disney wanting to increase their split of the profits from 5% to as much as 50%, mm-hmm. which seems exorbitant when you consider the fact I saw some sort of you know back of the envelope math that said that um, if if Far From Home had been subject to that profit split, it would go from being Sony's most popular, most uh, profitable movie of all time to making less money for them than the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies did. Wow. So obviously that's not a tenable 
position unless they were to get something way more out of it like say you know the merchandising rights or yeah. the right to have Tom Holland's Spider-Man appear in the Venom sequel or whatever that they could recoup some of that money from mm-hmm. so obviously there's the possibility for a deal to be made there's been all sorts of stories since then about oh you know the deal is back on the deal is not back on and this is all just us from the outside trying to figure out what's going on there are obviously insiders that know what's going on and some of these leaks may or may not be true um Sony has said that it, that um, that it's that the breakdown is not over money, but more over the fact that Kevin Feige doesn't have the the time to this. This really feels like spin. This part really feels like spin. No, that Kevin Feige doesn't have the time to because with with the the slate of Marvel movies plus the fact that now they have the Fantastic Four and the X Men plus the fact that he's now overseeing all these Disney Plus TV series that he doesn't have the bandwidth to um, produce movies for characters to which Disney does not own the rights, right? Like if, if he can only work on, yeah, say... such spin. If he can that's only work on, say... Lie. But I mean, there is logic to it. I just don't buy it in this particular instance. But it does seem logical that if you only have time of the day to work on 10 projects a year, are you going to choose nine that your company owns and one that you're barely going to make any money from? Or are you going to choose 10 that your company owns, right? Mm-hmm. Like that must is, is logical. But I think that in this particular instance, when you look at how important Spider-Man is to Marvel and to Disney and how much Kevin Feige in particular loves Spider-Man, like he's his favorite Marvel character and it meant so much to him to get him into these movies mm-hmm. that I think that they would do just about anything to have the deal continue so long as it was at least somewhat profitable for them. I, I waver back and forth on whether the deal will be renewed or not. I suspect that I suspect that eventually it will. I just wonder if it'll be too late for like a third Spider-Man movie to be anything other than like a, a wholly so, um, Sony product. Mm. And then maybe after that, like, I don't know. But I mean, they have Tom Holland wants to continue playing the role one way or the other. And even if he didn't want to, he's under contract for at least one more mm-hmm. uh, solo Spider-Man movie. Um, the the fellow who directed the first two, whose name I can never remember. I keep getting him confused with the guy that directed the Andrew Garfield movies, Mark Webb. Um, Sam Raimi? No, that was, the, that was the version before that. Well, that's what I was saying. I was like, wait a minute, what? Um he is apparently not he, he was going to seemingly direct another one if not two more but he was not under contract to do so i saw a report the other day that now marvel is looking to woo him away from a now wholly sony owned spider-man 3 and have him direct a movie for marvel which oh. seems almost like yeah. <laughs> punitive um i guess they just they like his work and it's like well we if if Spider-Man is not ours anymore. We'd rather have you direct movies for us than for Sony, right? And right. If he's not under contract. Um, Kevin Feige has said, and Kevin Feige and Tom Holland, but I mean, poor Tom Holland, poor kid, I right? Know. Like, I mean, he's so far as so as far as bum deals go, he still makes up pretty well. Like, he's still yeah, going to make millions of, of dollars off of any Spider-Man movie he appears in. He still gets to be Spider-Man. He he's been a class act the whole way, though. He's like, you know. Obviously, you know, I was a fan of what we were doing before, but I'm excited about continuing to play the character and I'm going to work my hardest to make these new movies even better. And like, he's been a complete class act, but you can tell that he feels like a kid whose parents are getting a divorce and he doesn't quite know which side to to go towards, you know. Kevin Feige has been really classy. For all I know, he could be a real, you know, jerk at the negotiating table, but at least publicly, um, he's been really classy about it too. He's like, look, we all knew when we went into this, as much as the fans wanted this to be a permanent arrangement, we all knew going in that it probably wasn't going to be. You know, Sony owns the rights to these characters. Thankfully, we got to make five great movies with Tom and with the Spider-Man character as part of our universe. 
Um, and now, you know, Sony wants the character back and we have to respect that and we can just focus on making movies with the characters we do own, you know, mm-hmm. which is a reasonable thing to say, but I got to think that it's killing him inside because he does love Spider-Man. I think everybody loved the way that things were going before. So, I mean, all this comes from Sony. I have to think that, so I mean, it depends on who you believe, right? Mm-hmm. If Disney wanted 50% of the profits, then regardless of Sony's wishes, that's a non-starter. But the one of the prevailing theories that whether you believe that or not that another major factor is the is the fact that before sony entered into the the deal with marvel their spider-man franchises were floundering Mm -hmm. since then of course they've had a a pretty big success with venom even though it wasn't the best received critically and made a ton of money and into the spider-verse was a huge success commercially and critically it won an academy award for goodness sakes Mm -hmm. um so they must be you know, flying high now thinking, hey, we've got this Spider-Man movie thing figured out. We don't need Kevin Feige and Marvel anymore. We can make our own awesome Spider-Man movies. Time will tell, of course, whether that's true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they do make an awesome Spider- third Spider-Man movie, if it's not part of the MCU, though, it's it's in this weird, it's in this weird limbo state. Like mm-hmm. it's a version, cause just, just from a fan from a fan perspective, just someone who cares about, you know, what is and is not canon. And I know it's all artificial you know boundaries that we set up as fans like this is official this counts and this doesn't count these are the the lines that fans like to draw right but just as someone who who wants to be like does is there any chance that what's happening in this movie going to affect you know the next um thor movie Mm -hmm. i would like to know like if this is clearly the same version of the character that was in the marvel movies and just because marvel characters can't show up in his third movie does that mean that this is no longer the official timeline of the mcu version of spider-man like does it diverge at some point and do the characters in the mcu just never reference spider-man again it would it would seem really weird so who knows i mean i go back and forth on whether they're going to renew the thing like i said um i think that i think that it's good that this was leaked by whoever leaked it because there's all sorts of fan campaigns now and there's public outcry um so I, I, I don't know, I, I vacillate, but I think at this point I place maybe like 75, 25 in favor of them coming to some sort of agreement over the next few months, hopefully time enough to um, make the third Spider-Man movie a reality um, following on from the second. Because I think now we're seeing why they didn't have a third Spider-Man movie on their phase four slate. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they do renew a deal in a few months it's, it could be like a james gunn guardians 3 situation where they come to a deal but it, it's now it's going to get pushed way back on the schedule because now they've got to start from zero right mm-hmm. like they've maybe the director has other commitments like what happened with james gunn maybe tom holland now has other commitments maybe they want to throw out the script that sony was going to use and kevin feige wants to supervise a new script so you know, there were two years between Homecoming and Far From Home. There could be three or even four years or maybe even more between mm-hmm. Far From Home and a potential third movie. And that's if the deal is renewed. Right. I know these actors are still going to plausibly be able to play high school characters at that point. Yeah. If not, we're looking at a time jump, which would be kind of weird given where the second one ended. It's a big mess. But I don't know. It's it's too bad. How do you how do you feel about all this? I assume you're you're sad about it because I, I know that you really love the Tom Holland version of the character. And it was... Yeah, you enjoyed it, seeing him interact with the other characters. Absolutely. And part of the charm was that he was such a new kid and he was so happy to be in the club and contributing and being part of the battle. And he was so warm-hearted and, and lovable to all the, you know, bigger mentor figures in his sphere. And to be perfectly frank with you, the story was always so good. And 
Sony couldn't deliver a good story, whereas Marvel has hit it out of the park every single time they touch the character. Well, I, I so, did see I did see a report that the the uh, screenwriting duo that wrote Far From Home is officially on board to write a third movie, regardless that's of regardless of whether it's a solely Sony production or that a Sony Disney is joint. A big so that win. is at least heartening. Yeah, that's a big win. But I mean, it's hard after Marvel's track record of twenty three consecutive smash hits. Yeah. with only slight variations in depending on who you talk to only s- minor slight variations hills, in quality yeah. you know like the occasional iron man 2 or thor the dark world aside those are both fun movies i mean mm-hmm. there were no bombs in there it's hard not to look at that and think that kevin feige and marvel studios have got some special mojo yeah. that even if the same screenwriters with the same cast mm-hmm. are turned loose on their own movie that there'd be something missing. different and missing about it maybe that's unfair to the writers and to the actors and everything but it's hard not to look at you know, the Sony produced Spider-Man movies and the Kevin Feige produced Spider-Man movies and see a real disparity in quality there. And it's unfair because it's apples to oranges because we're like talking a decade apart, different screenwriters, different directors, so many other factors. But it's hard to it's hard to think that it will be as good. Maybe that's unfair. I don't know. But at least, as I say, you get the same actors, potentially the same director, although yeah, maybe I not. I enjoyed the first two Ty- Tobey Maguire movies, but then it really fell off the rails. And I mean, I understand the reasons behind why. And, and it, it just seems like a production issue because they wanted to do something and the creators were like, well, we really think that's a bad idea. And Sony insisted. And that's why their f- movies tanked. And I'm sorry to put it so bluntly, but they're not really as good at producing as they think they are. Well, that's why I think that regardless of, of how, if you look at the numbers, it really seems like if the thing about going from the 5% pro- profit split to 50% really makes Disney look out to be the heavy here, Yeah. even with that information, it's hard not to view Sony as the bad guy because as fans, we don't care about who gets what profits. We just want good movies. Right. And it's, <laughs> and it's Sony true. has got a history of, of meddling and and overstuffing their Spider-Man movies with too many villains or too many setups for potential cinematic universes that don't end up happening. Um, I don't know who's at Sony right now, so I can't speak to the present. I mean, there's been so much turnover on the executive board since the 90s and even the 2000s. I know, and that doesn't speak very positively about their subculture there, their working environment Well, there's been a lot of turnover at Disney, too, and Marvel with the Disney acquisition and the Fox merger and everything. It's just that Kevin Feige and a lot of the people that report directly to him have been a constant. But there's been... um, Kevin Feige actually worked on, I think his first producing credit was actually on the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies because he cool. was, he was you know, before he ended up at Marvel, later Disney, he was, you know, yeah, bouncing Sony. around producing and doing other things. And I think he worked under Avi Arad and a few of the people that were, and, and Sam Raimi on, on those movies. So his association with the character goes goes way back. And I think that Amy Pascal, who was the Sony executive that with, that is credited as like the co-executive producer with Kevin Feige mm-hmm. on these new Spider-Man movies, she's been around for a long time too. And they were the two that seemingly kind of brokered this deal. So, so and, and she's still in place there. So yeah, she'll I just presume, hope they, they work have it sole out because producer credit and, you know. Honestly, like I don't, I hate, I, I would really hate for... Um, a lowering in quality for the final products and a even if, severing from the MCU. Even if it's just as good, it's going to be such a weird situation. You're yeah. going to feel weird watching yeah. it. Like, does this count? Does this not count? Like, yeah, yeah. Is this and part then of the if they do renew the deal later, does this retroactively become canon? Or like, it just raises all sorts of weird issues, you yeah. know? Yeah. I don't know. It's, and, and as a fan, like, this, this is the stuff that has always driven me crazy. It drove me crazy when Justice League Unlimited couldn't use the Batman characters yeah. in their latter seasons. It drove it drove me crazy when Young Justice 
up until the last minute didn't think they were going to be able to use any Wonder Woman characters. I just like, think it it's drives, it drives really me crazy because it's just these artificial things. Like, you, you just let the people tell the story. You know, like I understand there's corporate, you know, back and forth yeah. going on here. We don't live in a perfect world, and literally Marvel does not own the rights to this character in film, so they can't just go ahead and tell their story. But I don't know. I just think it's selfish, given that they're not the ones producing it. They're not the ones, you know, putting the uh, workforce behind it, figuring out all of the logistics to make this happen. They're not the ones. Well, yeah, they're not the ones working to make this good. So demanding so much more, like they own the rights. Big whoop-de-doo. Like just take a fair cut from that, you know, a residual, if you will. Well, that's the and, question, and though. Just... I mean, if they if they if they own the rights to the character, but they're only getting fifty percent of the profits after some new deal is brokered, that that does seem inequitable to me. Like I, I can understand balking at that deal. So, but we don't know if that's true or not. But just, I just that's think that reported. I think that it's selfishness because they're not the ones ponying up the majority of the work, and I think that you should get paid for the work that you do instead of. The disproportionate. Well, I think I think they are. I mean, I don't know. I, I I've if I knew some of the some of the logistics of how the deal actually works, I've I've since forgotten it. But I think at the very least, they're they're putting up a lot of the money for it. Like they they are they are they do have skin in the game. Like Amy Pascal is producing it. Some of Kevin it. Feige. They are putting forward the money. They are distributing it. They are advertising it. Like they've they if if one of these movies were to be bad, they would stand to lose a, a lot of money. Distributing and advertising are actually really easy to handle. Like I could distribute and advertise well, on social media. I mean, there's a lot of people. They're not the, the ones. Work in advertising they're not the ones that figure you, out. They're not the ones that figure out logistics they're not the ones that figure out all the manpower um scheduling and all the stuff that makes it happen i'm not even talking about the story the costumes or the acting or anything that is involved with making all of that happen they are not putting in the lion's share of the work and i don't think that they should get the lion's share of the money i'm sorry well, i mean I just that's don't. just the way it works in, in the real world when you own the rights I to understand. something you get to make most of the money if not all the money theoretically they should be making all the money off it because they own the rights so but that's what i'm thinking anything like, less that's than that not... would seem like seems like an insult to them i i mean i can understand it it's it's it's, it's easy for us to sit back and say that's not the way it should owns... be but we don't write the the rules for corporate america they're let's, just playing the game you let's know? let's let's review other aspects of corporate america if a person writes a book and they sell the rights to a studio and um they get a residual off of that if a script writer sells their script and works out a really good deal if if they have wga in their corner then they might get residuals from that that is like a micro percentage of the uh, money involved in making the thing and the the percentage of the profits it's n certainly not what sony's demanding and if a person uh, invents something and they put out a patent on it they'll get residual checks but they won't get like uh and somebody else you know markets that thing and makes makes a product and and main sales like sells it broadly to 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 people um the person who invented it and holds the patent is not going to get like the lion's share of what's being sold like everywhere else in the world, the work that they put in is commensurate with the pay. And I think that in film, it gets so unfairly uh, um, skewed. And I think that's that's part of my gripe because they're definitely not they're they're getting they're asking for more than they're chipping in is basically my point. They're they're not worth that much. Like their contribution is not worth that much percentage. I just wise. think I just think as fans, it's it's hard to take an, an unbiased view towards this because we like the way things are and we exactly. want we like our that nice too. comfy arrangement yeah. and we want it to continue. Like when you look at the way fans reacted when, say, Jerry Siegel's family tried to get the rights back to the Superman character, mm -hmm. 
you would think that comics fans, you would think that, you know, Superman fans, people that like <laughs> believe in the things that Superman represents would be on the side of the little guy, right? right? Fighting against big corporate America. But no, the fans want their Superman comics from DC to continue just like they always have. And so they tend to decide with DC. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's a very different arrangement because, you know, there were contracts and, you know, then the family came back later and, and said, you know, we don't, you know, forget that contract. We want the rights the character back anyway. And it was a whole mess, you know, that went on for decades and is still in a bit of a weird spot. But my point is, though, that the, the fans seem to are often less concerned with who is actually either morally or legally in the right in these situations and more just like we want things the way we've always gotten them and we want them to continue, you know, and that's a normal arrangement. Like that, that's a that's a normal reaction, you know, like we like what we like and we want more of the stuff that we like. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, well, I'm OK with never getting more good Spider-Man movies um, because I think that this deal that was entered into is is, you know, unjust or whatever like that's a that's a very selfless stance to make but it's it's hard because you know we like our movies and we want more of the movies so it can be it can be hard to take an unbiased perspective in this stuff so it's it's easy to point fingers at at the people that we think are keeping us from getting more stuff that we like oh yeah (laughs) yes i can especially since it's morally corrupt their motivation is, and and the fact that they're trying to spin it so so that it doesn't look like they want. Well, it's money, hard from like, a PR perspective. We should move on, but from a PR perspective, it's hard to say. Like it's it's impossible to know who's leaking what and what is even true. Like the profit thing, like that could be a complete that can be a complete false leak from Disney. Mm-hmm. You know, or 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 Sony, I should say, saying, "Oh, Disney's the bad guy here because they want literally, you know." 10 times the profits they were making before up from 5% to 50%. And that could be a Sony leak to make Disney, make Disney look like the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so who knows if any of that is even true. And they might legally, no one might be allowed to come out and say what the actual truth is on the record, mm-hmm. because oftentimes you're not supposed to comment on, you know, ongoing negotiation. It could sour the relationship. It could sour the negotiations, et cetera, et cetera. So they can leak something anonymously to the trade publications, but no one can actually come out and say what is actually officially going on while negotiations are ongoing. So all we're left with is just this haze of potential misinformation that makes it easy to point fingers. It's, you know, all we can really do, unfortunately, is just sit back and wait for the thing to be resolved one way or the other. And then hopefully one day we'll learn what the actual blow by blow was. But we don't really know yet. And that's why I'm sort of hesitant to to cast cast my side on one or the other. Um, but another Disney-related news, they had their big D23 conference this past weekend where they made a lot of announcements. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Wars-wise, we got the first trailer for The Mandalorian, which looks really cool. Uh, we got um, new footage from The Rise of Skywalker, which we just watched today. That looks really yeah, cool also. Yeah, um, We learned that The Clone Wars, uh, The Return of the Clone Wars, is coming to Disney Plus in February. Mm-hmm. So that'll be around the time that The Mandalorian wraps up. Um, we learned the, that we talked about this just last week, but the Obi-Wan Kenobi show on Disney Plus starring Ewan McGregor is now official. He came out on stage himself and yeah. confirmed it. <laughs> that's so that's cool. officially happening. Um, that's probably a 2021 thing. That's a ways off. Um, probably after the Cassian Andor series, which they also confirmed here is coming. You know, Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk mm-hmm. came out on stage and said it's it's happening. And they, um, Diego Luna was really excited to reveal the full title to the fans. But Kathleen Kennedy was like, no, let's not do that yet. And apparently it was actually kind of like an awkward moment. Like he went off script a little bit because he was so excited. He wanted to reveal the title. But she was like, you know, Diego, not yet. So I don't know if the title is somehow spoilery. Like if it's just like Andor, a Star Wars story, I don't think... 
it would really be spoilery. But so I see some people speculating, what if it's called Fulcrum or something? Because he oh. was, because Cassian Andor was one of the many rebel agents that was called Fulcrum at yeah, one point. Yeah. And so what if this is a series about all the different people that have been called Fulcrum and like Ahsoka is going to show up in live action or something? Like oh this is what God. gets this is what gets the fan speculation. And then the people ask Dave Filoni if Ahsoka is going to show up in live action. Whoa. He was being very coy about it. So I don't know. Like this is the kind of stuff that gets people speculating. So that, I mean, who knows why he wasn't Who's allowed they, to say um, what it was. Oh my God. Who's the actress that voices her? Ashley Eckstein. What if they got her and they put her in? It would have to be. It would have to be, and she. Oh my god, she play the part. I mean, it's not like she's four hundred pounds or something. She, you know, she's she's fit. She's in shape. She's like the right height. She's Mm -hmm. depending on. I guess it's set like this would be set just before. This is set basically concurrently with Rebels. In Mm -hmm. other words, a few years before Episode Four. So she would be the character would would be probably roughly the same age as Ashley Eckstein. They'd be in, she'd be in her thirties or forties, you know, like 20 years after, after, um, I would lose my ever loving mind if I saw her. Like I, I know that, I know that I'm terrible with names. And so I had to ask you what her name is, but I've been listening to her voice, the character, and she's really one of my favorites. I can understand why everybody is so gung ho to see her, uh, see more of that character. And, I'm one of those people now. I oh my god, I would lose my mind if she ever appeared anywhere in live action. I have to think it's going to happen eventually. Action. I just don't know if this is the place for it. The time, the timing would work out because we know she was involved with the Rebel Alliance mm-hmm. around the time of Rebels. That's how she got introduced into the yep. Rebel show. So the timing would work out perfectly. Um, we also got some Marvel news. So in addition to all the Disney Plus shows that we knew were happening, Hawkeye, Loki, What If, Yep, Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, I think that's all of them. They also announced three new shows. Now all of those shows. Um, what if is a bit of a oddity, but even so is true of what if and definitely true of the others focus on existing characters, you know, marquee characters in the movies, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, these three new shows they announced are all new characters. Of course, you know, classic characters in the comics, but characters that have not appeared in the movies before. And those, those series are Ms. Marvel, She-Hulk, and Moon Knight. Now, these are three very dis- different characters. Uh, She-Hulk is Jennifer Walters, Bruce Banner's cousin. She gets in an accident, uh, uh, Bruce has to give her a blood transfusion, and of course, that results in her getting Hulk powers. But what's different about her, while she can change back and forth, is that she has, unlike Bruce, she has complete control of her faculties. So for her, it's nothing but a plus. It's kind of like the Hulk Mm -hmm. that we see in Avengers Endgame, spoiler. Um, She can change back and forth, but she's Jennifer Walters the whole time. And she's Mm -hmm. a lawyer, so you see like these great scenes of like her hulked out in court, you know, arguing her case or whatever. (laughs) So she's a fun character. And of course... One of the classic She-Hulk runs focused a lot on her breaking the fourth wall a little bit. Like mm. there was a while there where she was aware she was in a comic, almost in like a Deadpool kind of way. So the, there's the potential for some meta stuff to happen in the series. Ms. Marvel, of course, is a more re- it's a name that goes way back. Of course, it was the original name of the Carol Danvers character before she became Captain Marvel only about eight or nine years ago. Um, but this version of Ms. Marvel is Kamala Khan, uh, a teenage Muslim girl who idolizes Carol Danvers and... She's an Inhuman. I don't know whether they'll do the Inhuman thing on Disney+. Plus. I doubt it with the way the Inhuman stuff ended up and, and the non-Marvel Studios produced uh, television. Yeah. Um, so they might give her another power. Who knows uh, how she gets it. I mean, heck, they've got the X-Men rights now. They could just make her a mutant. Um, but she gets, like, stretchy growing powers, basically, and she takes the name Ms. Marvel, and she's a character that, you know, that, that series won a ton of awards, and it's, you know, she's apparently a great, fun character, kind of like a Jaime Reyes Oh, um, cool. type character, like yeah. a young character who looks up to the the person who held the mantle before them and tries to make it big, you know. And then Moon Knight is a really weird character. I, I don't think I've read a single Moon Knight comic in my life, but I know that the idea with him is that he he's kind of like a Batman type character, but dressed all in white, and he's has multiple personalities basically. 
So each each Moon Knight series, he's like he's he's a he's it's the same guy, but he thinks that he's he's got a different personality basically. So he's he's basically a, a schizophrenic. I don't know if we're supposed to use that term anymore, but he's basically a schizophrenic Batman dressed in white. It's like his schizophrenic shtick. is no. If he has multiple personality disorder or dissociative disorder, I don't know what the exact clinical diagnosis. If he has is, multiple personalities, the, then he's not a schizophrenic. Schizophrenic well, is a completely. That's the, that's the basic. That's the basic gist of it. So I don't know much about the character, but that that's what I know. And so at one point he was, like he was like a, a he was like a taxi driver, and at one point he was whatever else. But so. This so is, multiple personalities. He's a, he's a he's a fan favorite character, cool. but and he's got a really cool look. Does he to have? Him. Is he like Crazy Jane from the Doom Patrol, where he has some awareness that he has a dissociative? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like or, I say, I've never read a Moon Knight comic before. I'm just curious. All I know he's a he's a real fan favorite character, and so people are excited that he's getting a series. And of course, the the thing with these Disney Plus series, and uh, they've even said precisely this specifically concerning Ms. Marvel but I would imagine the same would be true of these other new characters is that they are going to show up in the movies this isn't like an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Inhumans thing or the Marvel Netflix shows where they're off in their own weird little corner Mm -hmm. not only are characters like Hawkeye going from the movies to the Disney Plus series characters like Ms. Marvel and She-Hulk are going to be introduced in their Disney Plus series and then start appearing in movies maybe even in their own movies who knows depending Mm -hmm. on how popular some of these shows are but at the very least we could see Characters like She-Hulk appear in like a future Avengers team or something like that in the movies, depending on how popular they prove to be. So I think we should expect to see some pretty big casting around these characters too. If they're if they know that they're potentially positioning these characters for starring movie roles, they're not just going to get forgiveness to actors who work predominantly in TV, but some, you know, workaday TV actor to play this role. They're going to try to get like a big name actor. Cool. You know, I would imagine. So that's the exciting stuff about that. There was also a little bit of a uh, few other odds and ends. It was uh, Black Panther 2 was conspicuous in its absence from the official um, slate of Phase 4 movies. They confirmed that it's coming out in um, early summer of 2022. So that's four years in between the release of the first and second movies. But I think they, they've been taking their time with it. I think Ryan Coogler, the director, had some other projects he wanted to wrap up in the meantime or whatever. And, you know, Chadwick Boseman is now a pretty big name. So they've mm-hmm. got to get the cast back together or whatever. So... Um, so they're only starting to work on the script. Pre-production is only just beginning. This, you know, it's still more than two years out. Um, so it'll be at the tail end of Phase Four. But now we have an official date for that. They don't even, they didn't even reveal an official title yet, if they even know it themselves. We also got some additional casting news. They they fleshed out the cast of the Eternals movie a bit more. Um, they announced that Kit Harington, who plays uh, played Jon Snow on uh, Game of Thrones, is going to play a supporting role in the Eternals movie. And what's interesting is that he's not going to be playing one of the Eternals. He's going to be playing a character who was a superhero and an Avenger in the comics named the Black Knight. He basically looks like picture Shining Knight, basically, um, but with mostly black armor. He's like he's not actually from Camelot like Shining Knight is, but he's a guy that dresses like a knight. And, you know, rides around and has got like a powered sword or whatever. And he was an Avenger for a long time. He even led the Avengers for a while. So I think this might be one instance where they're going to introduce like a Hawkeye or Black Widow kind of thing. Where they introduce someone who's going to be a major player in team movies in a small role in a seemingly unrelated franchise Mm -hmm. like Eternals. And then they bring him into like a future Avengers movie or who knows, next Captain America movie with Anthony Mackie or whatever. Um, Yeah, so that was pretty much all the D23 news. A lot of Marvel and Star Wars news there. Amazing. Um, only one other little thing. This is this is sort of unfortunate. So um, they, in a press release, 
it was announced that um, Brandon Routh and his wife and co-star Courtney Ford are going to be leaving Legends of Tomorrow partway through this season. Apparently, it wasn't that the actors wanted to leave. It was that the writers, in writing their storylines for this season, got to a point where they're like, you know what? It kind of makes sense for them to move on to something else, the characters. But of course, as with many of the characters on these shows, the door is always open for them to return in guest spots or whatever. And and even to return as like regulars in the future or whatever. They basically said, you know, we haven't seen the last of these characters, but we feel like where their stories are leading them, are leading them to a point where it makes sense for them to leave the ship, but mm-hmm. we may see them again in the future, kind of thing. Well, that's really cool. I, I <laughs> it's not like the actors want to leave in a huff, which is always, which right. is always what's in the back of your mind when you read that someone's leaving a show. You're like, uh oh, was there some sort of acrimony behind the scenes, or is the actor a real jerk in real life and they want out of their contract? In this case, <laughs> it's just that the writing led them to a point, which is a natural, which conclusion. is the way you want I, it to happen, yeah, right? Exactly. You don't want it. You exactly. always hate it when the actor leaves the show and it feels like their storyline was unfinished. But Brandon Routh has been playing Ray Palmer for will this be six years? How many years was he on? arrow before legend started only one right so this will be mm, his sixth yeah. year playing ray palmer yeah it's a long time to play one character i thought it was two because he made like s- occasional appearances i'm pretty sure it was just the one season i'm pretty sure he was in that one season of arrow and then legend started mid-season the next year i'm pretty sure it was like maybe six and a half depending on how you count it because legends was a mid-season replacement but he's been yeah. he's been basically a regular on six seasons of tv playing this character so that's a long time yeah um and Courtney Ford, too, was like, you know, I, I, for her, she must feel like she only just started playing this character. It's only been a couple of years for her. And she's yeah. like, I love this character. I've been playing it for a long time if they let me. But I understand that storylines come to an end. And, you know, they're all very gracious about it. At least Routh is going to get to go out on top I playing know. King and Superman <laughs> and Crisis on the Earth. So at least he's going to have that. Oh, I can't wait to but see that. that's too bad. But, I mean, I think we all knew. I think it was obvious early on even in season one with Legends, that it was going to have, the whole premise would involve basically having a rotating cast of characters, both yeah. new characters mm-hmm. and characters that come from other shows on the ship. Yep. And there would be like maybe one or two stalwarts. I think they're going to want to keep, um, they're going to want to keep Katie Lotz as long yeah. as they can. I think that she's, she's. I almost uh, called her Caitlin Snow. Well, after, like, nope. after this season, only she and Dominic Purcell will be the only. Originals. Original cast members left mm-hmm. out of nine. Original cast members are left That's with right. only two after, after four and a half seasons. So. Yeah. Pretty high turnover. Um, but like I say, it's just the premise of the show. And we've gotten so many great characters that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise if they had kept those original nine. We'd yep. still be, you know, we'd still have Hawkman and Hawkgirl on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wouldn't have gotten Constantine on Captain there. Cole. We wouldn't have gotten... We know, wouldn't have gotten Charlie. And then, um, and then what's her name? Or Zari. Oh, Zari's amazing. Or that half season we got with Kid Flash <laughs> before he decided to leave all the shows. I know. Um, anyway, I so yeah. he's doing well. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's going to be back. I think he's going to be back for a couple of episodes this season yeah. on the Flash. Yeah. Yeah. He, no, I did read that. Yeah, he's going to be back for okay, a few episodes good. on the Flash. That was not an acrimonious thing either. No, he just, it wasn't. He, you he know, just he was going through some, some stuff in his personal discovery. life, and he wanted to go do some other stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so that's it for our news. This is interesting, too, because that's what his character sort of did, and I feel like it's a natural progression. Well, that I mean, worked out well for them, because yeah. they'd established that he was hanging out in, in Tibet or whatever. Yeah. And like, well, let's just say he went back there. Like, that, 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 that was they good. had themselves an easy out there. Yeah. All right, should we move on to our comics of the week? Yes. So what was your comic of the week? So this week I picked Superman Year One, issue number two. Um, basically at the end of last time, we saw um, a full of verve and life and hope Clark Kent going off to join the, the Navy. Now we what see his entire... Army, right? Was it was the Army? No, Navy. I know he ended up in the Navy here, but was it was it the Navy that he originally wanted to join? I thought he was joining yeah, the no, army. Yeah, no, he wanted to join the navy because I understand the two different things, but I don't I, know if I he know. could. If no, literally, protocol he wanted to be transferred to... from one to the other. 
No, 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 no. That's not how it works. Okay. Um, you, he joined the Navy and he then they, the Navy. they moved him over to the SEALs. Right. The right. whole point of the first issue was that he wanted to go see the world. And he knew that like 70% of the world is water. And so then yeah, he said right. the logical conclusion is... I don't know why I had in my is, head that he was joining the army. Maybe that's just like... When, that's maybe kind that's of a just, tropey that's just the, the, Midwestern the, well, that's thing the, to do. That's the... the the facile way of phrase, like, oh, you know, you've gone right. out to join the army. Sure. I think some people just use that as a shorthand. And so in my head, I think that, oh, he went to join the army. But no, he just, he went to join the armed forces. But And not right, only that, but he grew up there. in the middle of the Midwest and he had never seen the ocean. So some yeah. of that was calling to him as well. And he said, okay, logical conclusion, I'm joining the, I'm joining the Navy. So we basically see his entire Navy career in here. And it's amazing because you, you get introduced to an amazing, sharp-eyed CO who is very good at his job and has a detachment when it comes to killing that Clark Kent is not yet comfortable with. It's well, not I, at all. I like that character, too, I love because that it could too. have easily been like, oh, I know there's something up with you, Kent, and I'm going to find I'm out what. I'm going to expose you and drum you out of this outfit or use you for secret military experiments. But instead, experiments. he said, good for you. And, you know, he says, just use those. Whatever you're keeping from the world, you know, use it for good. Yeah, he was a good character. Very good character. Oh, man, sharp-eyed and, and still a moral person, a moral you know, character. And that's really nice because you usually see some sort of a, especially in the military where everybody yells at you while you're in training um, and is quite antagonistic on purpose to toughen you up. Um, to see that just, <laughs> it's just a good character. I really liked him, um, even though I can't remember his name. And then he, we get introduced to basically Atlantis or this version of Atlantis, which he is now helping. And then he has an outright fight with Poseidon. Well, it's interesting gone because crazy. I mean, your brief history lesson, of course, in the in the in the Silver Age comics. Lori I mean, Lamaris. it was one. I mean, there was a yes, there was a shared universe at DC, obviously, because all the heroes were on the Justice League together. But there was the Superman office overseen by Mort Weisinger, and then there was you know there was the Batman office. I forget who was in charge of that. Was it Murray Boltonoff or someone? And were, you know there were these different fiefdoms within DC, and they didn't really talk to each other. Huh. The, the Justice League book was under one office, mm -hmm. and so all the characters kind of fed into that. But they had their own little fiefdoms. And from a modern perspective, it's remarkable when you look back how little continuity there was between what was going on at one office and the other. So you had things like. There was one version of Atlantis in the Aquaman comics, and then there was a completely different, incompatible version of Atlantis in the Superman books, and that was where Laurie Lamaris was from, and everybody was a mermaid or a merman. Cool. And then you had the Aquaman comics, where everybody basically looked human, but lived underwater and, and breathed underwater, right? Right. And of course, all the subsequent versions, since continuity became a lot tighter, have explained that, well, there's different races that live underwater, and there's different kingdoms, uh, you know, under the water, mm -hmm. and some of them look different, and, you know... All, the, all these other things, but that's all retcon on top of retcon. Originally, there was two completely different versions of the titular Atlantis and the two different families of DC books, and readers just either didn't notice or didn't care, or just back then you you didn't think about this. It's like, oh yeah, that's the Atlantis in the Superman books, and that's the Atlantis in the Aquaman books. Right. And the fact that those two characters would get together for monthly meetings at the Justice League what didn't apparently didn't cause any sort of cognitive dissonance where you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. But right. it just, you know, you just rolled with it back then. Or plus the readership was largely kids back then. Who who knows if they were reading both or if they did, if they even noticed or cared, right? Wow. But that's just sort of an interesting quirk that, yeah, I mean, this this is Atlantis, but you're not supposed to spend too much time thinking about, wait, is this is, does Aquaman exist in this world and all this other stuff? It's just this is the version, this is a, an updated version of the Atlantis that Laura Lamars is from that is from those Silver Age, Mort Weisinger, Superman comics yep. where he, you know, fell in love with the mermaid when he was in college. Right. Wow. Very cool. 
And so, yeah, we get the big fight with Poseidon and everything. Yeah. So I, it was so good. And the Kraken. I was worried. I think we said this much when we picked one of us. I think it might have been me. Picked the first issue for our comic of the week a couple months ago. And I said that my concern, I think the idea of him joining the military, obviously a lot of fans, like immediately, that's their opt-out moment. They're like, I don't want to read about a version of Superman who's going to fight Kill in, people. You know, fight yeah. in wars and use, use guns and join mm-hmm. the armed forces and stuff. And I'm like, I think it's an interesting way to go. I think it's believable for this version of the character as was as as he was presented in the first issue. But I do agree in as much as like if he starts going gung-ho and just like mowing people down with a mm-hmm. gun, that I'm going to have a problem with that unless it's written in an incredibly specific way. And so thankfully, and there were pages here where I'm like, people are getting shot. Is he doing the shooting? Like it was unclear yeah, yeah. at first. And then you realize that he's basically doing like a Hal Jordan in New Frontier kind of thing where, mm-hmm. yeah, he's in the military, but he's doing everything he can. To he's like the killing. one guy in the war that's not firing his and weapons. And he got basically. booted for it. Yeah. He washed he's out trying because to, he's of there. It. He was there to save lives, not to not to take them, which, you know, is, is obviously really good. So I, I was I was fine with all that. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, and so the third issue, despite where this one ends with him seemingly content to live the rest of his life in Atlantis, we mm-hmm. see the you know, third issue, the cover of the third issue, and he's holding the Daily Planet Globe, you know, mm-hmm. there. So he's going to get the <laughs> Metropolis eventually. That's so cool. I'm yep. not sure. This is only three issues or if it's four issues. I know. No, I know. This is, is going to be last... the third one because I just picked issue number two. No, I know. I'm just, I'm not sure how many issues it's going to run before oh. it's over. I know Last Night on Earth is three issues. Batman Damned was three issues, but I don't know if this is three or four. Oh, I don't know. So I don't know if they're setting these black label books as being like three volumes each or whatever. I just wonder if there's any commonality there. I, I, I think they probably just let the, the creative team decide how long it's going to be and it's going to be however long it's going to be. Yeah. So my comic of the week was Batman number 77. Cool. Um, I really enjoyed this issue. It's got great. The, it was basically like a, I mean, yeah, Batman is in this one a little bit. He's basically being nursed back to health by Catwoman mm-hmm. after they found each other again in the last issue. Um, but the... The meat of this issue is is uh, Damien Wayne defying orders, going into Gotham and taking on Flashpoint Batman one on one. And the scenes of the two of them, Mikhail Janin drawing them, the scenes of the two of them fighting, the dialogue, Damien's dialogue, like he's got so no respect, good. no respect for this guy Zero. who let his son get shot, let his wife turn into the Joker, and let his mm-hmm. Earth get dissolved. He's mm-hmm. like, you're no Batman. And then we're like, yeah, Damien, you tell him. Like, and we're like, oh, man, Damien is like one of the top five fighters in the DC universe. Yeah. He's going to take this guy apart. And Flashpoint Batman ends up beating him. Yeah. Because um, I think Tom King really wants us to remember, like, this guy is Batman. He's not our Batman, but he is a Batman. Mm-hmm. He might even be a better Batman because he's he's older, he's smarter, he's wiser. And don't forget, he kicked Batman's ass. Yeah, but I mean, you can always get into like, just because this person won this fight under these circumstances doesn't mean he, just because A can beat B and, and B can beat C but, doesn't mean A can beat C under all circumstances. Okay, you know? I, you I, can I, get into the sort of fan wish casting thing. But but I mean, the, in multiple times in the issues in the desert, when they were making the progression through the desert, there I mean, and yes, uh, our Batman was... Uh, he's just of diminished been faculties. taken apart by right. Bane. He's gone through all this stuff. Like his son has been shot. His fiance left him. Like I know. The whole point was to bring him down to his lowest. So none of that would be a fair fight. Whereas Damien here is operating at his peak. And so I would, I was expecting him to beat this guy. And yet Me somehow, too. obviously, things aren't going to turn around like that. This storyline has still got nine issues to go. But I was expecting him to win, but then somehow get, you know. Right, like Gotham Sniped Girl or something. Like, shows yeah, she up comes again. In. She which takes, was great, he takes by Gotham the way. Girl down in five seconds with yeah, some magical charm wonderful. he got from Satana or whoever. He's yep. like, well, that you. I just don't want to miss. Yeah, he's like, you, you super strong people all think you're so great, but just five minutes of planning mm-hmm. can take you down just as easily as anybody else. 
Yeah, I, I really enjoy that. And of course, the shock at the end. Do we want to spoil what happens at the end? Yeah, we do. We should. The, the shock at the end where, I, I mean, this is a, this is a great scene. Not just It's shocking what happens, but the great way is the way it's presented and the way it's written is that... Okay, so if you haven't read this, now is your time to skip ahead by like 30 seconds or a minute or something. Go ahead. Yeah, so they, they Bane and Flashpoint Batman truss up Damien, bring him to Wayne Manor, and then basically execute Alfred in front of him. And, yep. they, the, and as punishment for... though The deal was that... Anybody who Alfred would anybody be safe. from the Bat family. Alfred would be safe so long as no one from the Bat family came to Gotham. And we learn here, if we didn't already know, that this was Alfred's idea to protect them, mm-hmm. to protect the Bat family from Bane and Flashpoint Batman, who he feared could beat them and kill them. Right. So Alfred gets executed as a way of teaching Damien a lesson. Now Damien becomes a new hostage that's there to prevent anybody else from trying to come in. Mm-hmm. But the great part here was the way that just the, the dialogue, Damien's dialogue, Alfred's dialogue, the way Alfred is pleading, not pleading for his own life, but like not in front of the boy. Yeah, like, I remember. Don't, yeah. don't, don't make him live with this, you know? Mm-hmm. And Damien, who's so hot-headed, so arrogant, and, and it's easy to think that he doesn't care about people like Alfred. You know, through the whole Grant Morrison run, he just called him Pennyworth all the time. He right. seemed like he had nothing but disdain for him. Yep. But he does care about this guy mm-hmm. um, who's, who's family to him. And the idea that his mistakes... Like, he so rarely has had to confront his own failures. Because normally, even when he does something wrong, like he kills someone he shouldn't or gets yeah. something good, he's able to convince himself that it, other people failed him. It's not his fault. You know, right, he's, right. he was doing the, the only thing he could yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, that's People a just failed to live child. up to his expectations, yes. yeah. you know. But this is one time and only a very small handful of times where it's like, wait a minute, I really screwed up. Mm-hmm. And this is going to have real consequences you know and you actually see that fear in his eyes that again he can a handful of times a number of times we've seen Damien actually afraid mm-hmm. and so like I, I think that that scene and just the way the camera just you don't even see what's happening you can imagine that Bane or, or someone has got Alfred mm-hmm. with their arm around his neck or whatever and that it actually ends up being exactly what's happening but the camera just pulls it's all dark except for like a single light it's like the the mm-hmm. textbook interrogation scene right the room is black except for like a single swinging light bulb above mm-hmm. Damien and the camera just pulling in closer and closer on him as we see a fa- his face become more and more horror stricken as he realizes what's about to happen yeah it just wonderfully written and wonderfully illustrated so that uh, that whole scene makes the issue but even the the fight scenes between him and Flashpoint Batman with their dialogue back and forth where they just I have, love the nonchalant and Flashpoint Batman doesn't want to beat that, this kid either right like but, this is this could this is his grandson but for a you know, a quirk know. of alternate dimensions, yep. right? Like this is family to him too. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to hurt this kid. But much like he was willing to destroy his son's life for yep. what he sees as being a better long-term solution for his son, he's willing to kick the crap out of this kid too mm-hmm. for his own sake and for his son's sake and for the city's sake and all this other stuff. So I think he continues to be an interesting character too. Yep. What were you going to say? I was going to say how I also appreciated how well-written Gotham Girl's incarnation is in this because... She almost came off with like a Sarah Michelle uh, Geller wit, like Buffyisms, um, throughout her with the burning and the death and stuff like that. The commentary that when she was chasing Damien around, and seeing her taken down a peg was really satisfying. But her character totally feels three dimensional. She's not like full blown generic. I think sounding she's, crazy just, she's, lady. Just she's just out. checked out. She's just checked out. She was yeah, much more normal early on in the run but i think what happened with her brother oh yeah she's psycho pirate and everything else i think she's just checked out she's like i'm just gonna have fun and i'm gonna burn burn bright and burn myself out because remember every time she uses her power she takes a little bit off of her life she's just like i'm gonna have as much fun as i can and and just screw around as much as i can until i'm gone like she's got nothing to live for anymore except for like this debt she owes bane this perceived debt she owes bane she's just gonna you know yep 
And so who knows if anybody can actually reach yeah, her. She's yeah, got like, a she was wish, much yeah. more she was much more not to say that she's being poorly written now, but her character had much more going on internally originally. Yeah. You know, when I her brother's still around now, and same... now she's just she's so far gone that who knows if she can come back. Can or not. I ask a question? Originally when we saw Gotham Girl and her brother when we were all introduced to those characters, um and this wasn't Tom King's writing, but do you think he? Yep, it was. It was. Yeah, issue one of his oh. Batman run was the issue that introduced these characters. He's been he's been setting all this up from the very beginning. Oh, did issue number one of his run was the one where Batman has to single handedly try to save that plane from crashing into the well, harbor, that, and Gotham right. and Gotham Girl come and come and save him. That was issue one. That's right. So so then, because there was a part where it was narrated from her perspective, as she was looking back on this time in her life. I don't remember, do remember that, this? but it's possible. That I do remember, and such a Tom King thing to do because you see those, um, you know, the this script written in hand, uh, like it looks like excerpts from a diary or something, um, and the voice was from the future looking back on this time, like the narrative voice of Gotham Girl, and she mentioned that she eventually like met her husband. Who who turned out to be her husband? Wasn't it Duke? Yes, thank you. Yes, Duke. Yeah, this, that's something that writers do. Jeff Johns used to do that too. He's like, oh yeah, we'll say that. I just wonder if they'll ever come Star back to Spangled that. Star Spangled Kid goes up and marries Adam Smasher or whatever. Yeah, I, well, I, he set that up. As, like I say, he's been he's had this whole thing planned out from yeah, issue one. Yeah, it's Tom so King, that's going to pay off somehow. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. All right, so should we move on to your pop quiz? Yes, I'm ready. So this, this week, because we talked about Superman Year One, I'm going to quiz you about other Year One storylines in DC Comics. I'm ready. All right, so number one. These mm-hmm. are all multiple choice. Oh boy, good. Number one, <laughs> which character has not received a year one storyline since the beginning of Rebirth? In other words, since you started reading all the comics. With okay. Them. Which has not received a year one storyline? Flash, Superman, Wonder Woman, or Green Lantern? Green Lantern. Correct. He did have a year one storyline written by Jeff Johns, but it was a few years before Rebirth. Cool. It was basically a template for okay movie with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Just basically do this, and you know they didn't do it very well. But that was that was basically like he's basically like here's six issues that could be a Green Lantern movie if you just adapted it. Hilarious. All right, number two, which character does not appear in Batman Year One? Catwoman, Harvey Dent, Joker, or Carmine Falcone? <sighs> Joker. Correct. Much like Batman Begins, the story the story ends on the last page with Commissioner Gordon saying, oh, we've got this playing card mm-hmm. that someone's leaving at these crimes. Maybe you should look into that kind of thing. At least that's the way I remember it ending, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. All right, number three. Mm-hmm. Which later villain does Wonder Woman befriend in her year one storyline? Ares, Cheetah, Dr. Psycho, or Veronica Kale? Cheetah. Correct. Number four. Have you gotten all three of these so far? Yes, so you far. Have. Number four. Who is the central villain of Flash year one? The Turtle, Captain Cold, Reverse Flash, or Grodd? Turtle. Correct. All right, last question. Uh Uh-huh. It all rests on this. (laughs) Which Frank Miller story is not in continuity with Superman Year One? Okay. Is it Batman Year One, Dark Knight Returns, All-Star Batman and Robin, or Holy Terror? No, I need that question again. Which, Which central Flash villain, later Wonder Woman befriended... No. <laughs> Which Frank Miller story is not in continuity with Superman Year One? Frank okay? Miller, Frank Miller Superman Year writer one. of Superman Year One, has written other stories for DC Comics, which are considered to be in continuity with this new series. Okay? Which of these comics is not one of those? Okay. All right? Batman Year One, Dark Knight Returns, All-Star Batman and Robin, or Holy Terror? 
I don't remember Holy Terror. What is that? Well, if I tell you, that would kind of... That would, would it? Well, but potentially. I, no, potentially. Just tell me what the story is. Refresh my memory. The name gives me nothing. I don't even know who um, who that's about. Well, I can't really tell you anything. You're just going to have to go based on what, I, what I've given you. Fine. I pick Holy Terror. You are correct. Awesome. Holy Terror was going to be um, a Batman comic, which would have been part of his so shared universe of Batman and Superman stuff, like these other ones are. Um, and it was basically going to be Batman versus Al-Qaeda. Oh, wow. This was, good. This was shortly after 9-11, and he really had a head of steam about doing a Batman versus 9-11 story. DC Co. was kind of like, not sure if we want to do that. So he ended up doing it as an obviously with like an off-brand Batman. Yeah, yeah. Like he had to change the names and the look and so on, and it was called Holy Terror. But that, huh. that in itself is kind of a Batman pun, like Holy Terror Batman, you know, but also That's Holy funny. Terror is in this like, you know. Right, right. So, yeah. But yeah, the when you his intention is that whether this was originally his intention or not, I don't know. But when you read Dark Knight Returns uh-huh. and you see like old Batman facing off against old Superman, that that version of Batman is the same one that he was writing in Batman Year One. And that version of Superman is the same guy that we're now reading his origins in, in cool. um, Superman Year One. Cool. So this version of Superman that we just talked about today is the guy that, you know, does not age and grows up to be like the perfect looking guy who works for President Reagan. All the other superheroes are forced to retire and he's the guy that fights old Bruce in the armor in the alley and seemingly kills him. You know, like it's that this is the, supposed to be the same guy. Hmm. And he's written other stories, including All-Star Batman and Robin, which take place in the middle there and introduces Robin. And it's all supposed to be part of the same thing, you know. So whether Batman Year One is currently the incontinuity origin of Batman or not, it's the, in his mind at least, the origin of the Batman that goes on to be in Dark Knight Returns. Wow. And similarly for this Superman. Huh, interesting. Cool. So this is in some ways a prequel to Dark Knight Returns. It's not intended to be, and you know this part, but it's not intended to be the new official origin of the main Superman. Yeah, I know. But it, this is supposed to be the origin instead of that version of Superman. Huh, interesting, cool. And that's it for our quiz. So I got five out of five. Yes, you did. Let me is that the only time that's happened? Not the only time, but it's definitely one of a handful. Right. So the only out show we have to talk about this week shows. is Young Justice, the episode yes. Terminus. Yes. Um, so okay. next week we'll have the final three of the season. Ah. And that will be, I think, again, all we'll have to talk about. So we probably won't want to spend a lot of time talking about this this week because I think most of what happens here mm-hmm. is, I mean, a lot happens, but it's set up for the last three. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to talk about a lot of it without knowing where it's going but basically um the team the outsiders and you know the grown-up members of the original team go to infiltrate granny goodness's orphanage to Mm -hmm. rescue the justice league and the kidnapped metateens who have been brainwashed by the anti-life equation turns out um they have various trials and tribulations there including this weird fever dream of nightwing that ends up being shared through the psychic link where he imagines the original team Mm -hmm. fighting um, they make their way to uh, their destination, but Granny ends up being able to use Halo to brainwash them as well. And yep. now the anti-life equation is spreading throughout the universe, and the vast majority of our guys have already been succumbed to, succumbed it. to it. I mean, there's people back on Earth. Obviously, you got Beast Boy and some of his team, but mm-hmm. all the original team members, the majority of the Justice League, including their heavy hitters, like... Several Green Lanterns, Wonder Woman, Superman, they're all, under, I guess right. Batman's back thrall. on Earth too, the Batman mm-hmm. is back on Earth, the exception of Nightwing. Um, Black Lightning's still there. Um, My question is this, um, one thing that really bugged me about this was that Granny Goodness was sitting in her protective box and that's the only thing that protected her from getting 
brainwashed with the rest of presumably the universe as as the anti-life equation expands. My question is, did she phone ahead to Apocalypse to let them know that it's happening so that they could put up the red box around the planet? Otherwise, Dark well, Side and everybody else is going to get brainwashed alongside. Who knows along how this. far away this place is from any territory that they may be concerned about preserving you know if the if this or- orphanage is out in the middle of nowhere i mean they would have known like the it seems like this is the culmination of their big plot right like they wouldn't have put this place in their backyard if they knew that the anti-life equation was going to be emanating out of it plus mm-hmm. i'm not sure if there's even i'd have to think about this is there is there any precedent in the comic for dark side like being immune to the anti-life equation or something because it's kind I'm of saying. like his will incarnate so would it even affect him i don't know i guess it would depend on who's utilizing it no it feels like he wants it like it doesn't belong to him in any way shape or form but he doesn't want it to affect him he basically wants everybody else to lose their free will and be subordinate to him exactly so Um, i think that if somebody else is wielding it as as is the case here that he could easily be brainwashed along i would suppose so that's why i think this is probably way out in the middle of deep space or something like that like if they were I'm sure this is a question that's been because when the Justice League was flying around, they didn't expect to find this out there. If they if they were in like apocalypse space, then they would be a little less surprised to find parademons and granny goodness and all that stuff. So right. I have to think this is out somewhere like near Thanagar or something, wherever they were prior to this. That uh, there's some backwater. I was really surprised because there was an amazing scene leading up to it where the Alpha team is about to storm the castle and save the Beta team from, you know imminent capture and stuff and um they're discussing like connor and ms martian are basically having an argument because caldor's suggestion for a nuclear option um fix is for miss martian to basically run in guns ablazing in terms of brain blasting everybody in the room um the way she scrambled his brain presumably she'd be able to exercise a little more nuance than that but that would be the fear yes that yeah. she that especially when doing it so quickly and on such a scale that she wouldn't be able to control it right. sufficiently because otherwise they would be you know captured and worse um and she's willing to do it but the 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 beautiful part about it is that you feel the conversations that she and connor have had on the topic they've forgiven each other they've learned to understand what the other has gone through as a result of those actions. Well, even even in earlier scenes. And or he's in the- protecting her. He's worried about the effect it will have on her, like her spirit, her psyche, whatever you want to call it. Like it will, it will destroy her. And he is not advocating because it will destroy the other people in the room. Yeah, he's not worried about Superman. He's not worried about about them. He's worried about her. But even in the earlier scene, I can't remember whether it was at the beginning of this episode or in the previous one, um, where it came out that um, that she was part of Batman's sort of secret Cabal, group that yeah. was running everything, and mm-hmm. and he, he she and he had had it out had a, where yeah, had know, an saying you know I'm not brainwashing people, and he's like no you were lying to everyone that's as bad as brainwashing you're yeah. changing the way people think by being dishonest with them, mm-hmm. um, and it's it that's seemed like it really did, did real harm to their relationship, but they've yeah. still got such a strong foundation. Mm-hmm. And obviously, even if that weren't true, he would still care about her very much. That he doesn't want her to basically lose her soul by lobotomizing the world's greatest heroes um yeah he didn't even care i mean it presumably would include him right like she's just going to send it out in all directions like calder was saying like it could i i think he they were basically it was basically going to be a sacrifice play like i think everybody going into that room knew that they were they could Mm -hmm. end up losing their their brains Mm -hmm. but it would be you know the loss of couple dozen superheroes would save the universe small sacrifice to pay to save the entire universe from the anti-life equation so 
Yeah, and it was fun seeing the original team or the four of the five of them that remain um, fighting and side they, by side they, and having that flat that that sequence Wally. where we see the yeah. you know we hear the classic theme and we mm-hmm. see Wally's there and of course it helps that and the fun that Jason Spisak is still part of the cast playing yeah. Forager so they can just have him do Wally whenever they want. Yeah, um, and see their original costumes and their original personalities. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Jesse McCartney pitches his voice up for like thirteen yeah, yeah. year old Robin the way that he used to. Yep. Um, I hacked the the uh, what was the jet. Oh, the, 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 the javelin, you know, the javelin. I hacked the javelin drones. Yeah. Yes, that's so good. And you, you know, making the puns on the words that he used to do. Yeah. And Miss Martian saying "Hello, Megan," the way that she Hello, used to all the time. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, so good. And and I've, that I've, fever dream was so good. I love that it was a shared experience. That it was still like under the psychic link, and all of them saw what happened, and how Artemis reacted by saying, "We all feel Wally with us." Oh, and tears! And this whole, the whole, the whole setup so for this good. is also either either intentionally or unintentionally. I find it hard to believe anything in this show is unintentional. Mirroring of the ending of the first season, where the where the Justice League was controlled by the Starro Tech, and the original team members had to infiltrate Justice League headquarters and save them from that mind control. Now we have their surviving original team members again, mm-hmm. trying to rescue the Justice League from essentially mind control. Yeah. Um, the difference here is that they seemingly fail. Yeah. Um, and so I've been seeing some people say, is, you know, even if it's intentional, it seems a little repetitive, doesn't it? That you could even argue that that um, season two involved a lot of mind control with the Reach technology taking over Blue Beetle and people, you know, the Reach drink, draining people of their free will was supposedly the plan over time. Like this is now like three three seasons that involve around summer all of the heroes losing their free will to the villains yeah seems a little repetitive so i don't know like but if if that were if that were all there was to it this would be maybe the penultimate episode of the season all the heroes are brainwashed and then you got one more episode where they're freed or whatever right that was the way it went down in season one everybody got brainwashed in episode 25 episode 26 the day was saved we have three more episodes left so there's several more reversals of fortune that are that they have time for here. So I have to think there's a lot more that's going to happen than just the remaining heroes on earth managed to save the day and save these people from brainwashing. Like that might be the next episode, but then there's two more left. So I think there's a lot more that's going to happen. And I, you know, as always, you can never really guess where the show is going to go. And you can't even assume that all the plot threads are going to pay off. Like the, the Deathstroke Terra thing might be a season four payoff. Exactly. Who knows? Like yeah. that might not even happen at all. Know. It could be, you know, another yeah, year before Yeah, the planted, that that's for sure, but... So. Yeah, I know. I just love it. I love it all so much. These people, oh my God, do they know how to spin his tail? Ah, they're they're one of my ugh, they're one of my favorites. They so really are. I if love the first, show. The first two seasons are any indication, the there will be a um, a satisfying definitive end to the story of the season, mm-hmm. but it will leave a thread of mystery or foreboding or something unfinished. Such business. as season one, you know, what did we do for those missing sixteen hours or whatever it was? Season two. Was Vandal Savage going to Apocalypse? And there's Wally's death, obviously, but that was not really a thread that would continue. That was just a note that was non-triumphant that the show ended on. Right. And then you have Vandal Savage going to Apocalypse and shaking hands with Darkseid and saying, business as usual. So, like, the introduction of Darkseid was the outstanding plot thread there. And we've gotten, obviously, a lot of follow-up on that here. Although, despite the fact that there's been so much going on with Apocalypse, Darkseid has only had a speaking role in, like, one episode in this whole season. I know. It's kind of crazy. Um crazy yeah so i imagine is the meta threat the, the meta threat but like the whole metahuman trafficking apocalypse thing going to be resolved in this season and there'll be some other resol- lingering thread or is the whole brewing war between apocalypse and earth the overarching story for the entire series 
and we're just seeing like a flare up of it here, but it's going to continue to escalate, you know? There's a question. Because the, the, that would, the whole light versus the apocalypse thing. You could bring and, up the Legion at that point. Well, the whole light, the whole light apocalypse thing working yeah. together and yet at odds in retrospect and with the knowledge that we got from episodes um, like the one that was basically Vandal Savage's life story, we know that that stuff has been brewing since season one and yeah. even way back further than that. So that almost seems like the meta plot for the entire show. So I find it hard to believe that a dark side and apocalypse are going to be defeated soundly in this season. And the next season, it's going to be like the, the fatal five or something. You're going to be the villains. Like, no, I think that the whole apocalypse thing is going to be the overarching threat for the whole show, however long it runs. And we're just, we're seeing escalation here, but it's not, I don't think that is going to be permanently resolved. They might, capture or destroy granny and they might you know reclaim halo or she sacrifices herself or something to destroy right. the anti-life yeah. equation um and that sends dark side packing for now but there continues to be the lingering the threat. threat i yeah. mean that would be my guess but who knows yep. yeah that's, that's it. a good that's a good guess i really don't have many guesses because i think these show writers could just do about anything it's like magic so I'm not going to hedge my bets on any one point or another. <laughs> I'm just enjoying the ride. Um, yeah, so if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And on uh, on the regular interwebs, as it were, our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. You never have one. How about... Ooh, what's that? That was um, the big ominous ping from the little the tiny dude box? in the box. No, the little tiny oh, dude. Uh, Overlord. Overlord. Yeah. Yes. Very there good. Go. Thanks.